All right, turn to First John. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing good? I know a lot of you, not a lot, but I know there's some deer hunters out there. Literally, they're out there because they're not here today. All right, so hopefully they'll at least share some sausage or something with the rest of us. All right, you all in First John? Yeah, First John, chapter 1. You want the verse? No, I'm not giving it to you. No. I'm just kidding. All right, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today as it goes forth. I pray that not only uh, for this pulpit, uh, but for the pulpits across America and the world, that truth would go forth um, from your pulpits. And that the Lord, that the men that you have appointed be faithful to preach the word, including myself, and that your church would be built up, and that you would use your church uh, to speak truth uh, to this dying world. And we thank you, God, that we are privileged to be able to have your word, to be able to read it, to be able to study it. Uh, we thank you, God, that we have um, people that are willing to serve um, us by ministering to our children right now so we can um, hear it um, without distraction, God, and that um, our kids are, are receiving truth as well. So we pray for them, each one of them, the youngest to the oldest, that you would give them the gift of salvation and that you would use um, the words and the things that they're learning to not just know it, God, um, in their head, but to know it experientially and to know you, the one true God. We do pray for our um, Christmas musical coming up, that um, the family and the different guests that are going to be here, um, any unbelievers, Lord, would, um, would hear the truth of the gospel that day and respond in faith, Lord, that you would do that, that your spirit would be working. And we ask, Spirit, now that you would work in us and that you would quicken our hearts um, and apply fast the word of truth to our souls. Amen. All right, I've been talking about the gospel for um, the last few months, and I want to talk um, today a little bit about Jesus, and then, I mean, the whole sermon is going to have Jesus through it, but I'm going to focus specifically on Jesus a little bit at the beginning, and then talk about um, our response to what we've read in these scriptures here. Because here's the thing, if we get um, the person of Jesus wrong, if we get the view of who he is wrong, then we get the gospel wrong. So the Mormons have the wrong Christ, and therefore they have the wrong gospel. And the Jehovah Witnesses have the wrong Christ, and therefore they have the wrong gospel. So if you don't understand Jesus, if you mess that up, and you don't have a biblical understanding of what he did on the cross, um, you're going to end up with the wrong gospel. So it is very important for us to understand the doctrine of Christ. And the doctrine of Christ, 
in the person of Christ, it has been twisted and turned upside down for thousands of years. Literally, all the way back um, to the very beginning of the church. And so that's why you see Paul and Peter and John uh, in their epistles um, correct people's uh, Christology, okay, which just means the study of Christ, and correct their soteriology, which just means the study of salvation. But John here is um, combating some of the early uh, heresies that had sprung up right in the life of the, early, of the early church. And so I want you to notice, in these three verses alone, I want you to notice all the information he gives us about Jesus. Um, first, we have some attributes of Christ that John tells us about. Notice in verse 1, he says, that which was from the beginning. Well, what was from the beginning? He kind of starts almost, um, commentators say, like in the middle of a sentence. Um, that which was from the beginning. So we go on, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning what? The word of life. And what does he tell us? Or who does he tell us the word of life is? Jesus. So he was from the beginning. This immediately puts him above any other religious teacher. Okay? Uh, Buddha wasn't in the beginning. Muhammad wasn't in the beginning. Even Moses, who the Jews highly revere, wasn't in the beginning. But Jesus, and Jesus alone, was in the beginning with the Father. So he's in a category all of his own. In fact, theologians had to come up with a term to describe him being in his own category. They called it the Theos Anthropos, the God man. So he is um, eternal. He is a distinct individual. Notice what he says in verse 2, uh, towards the middle of the sentence uh, that John is saying, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So notice one, he's not the Father. Okay? He's not the Father. He is separate and distinct. This is a strike against modalism. Do you all know what modalism is? Okay, modalism is the idea that um, there's no, there is one God, but he's only one person. Okay, the Trinity, one God, three persons. Modalism believes there's one God, and he's only one person that appears in different modes or forms. So um, Jesus isn't distinct from the Father. They're really just the same person taking on different forms or different modes. Um, John's putting that to rest right here. He was with the Father. He was with the Father. Okay? He wasn't the Father. He was with the Father. So he's a distinct individual. Two, uh, John is also taking a strike against an early form of heresy, an early heresy, excuse me, called docetism, which was that Christ only appeared to have a body, but he didn't. So he was like a spirit. But notice what John keeps um, going after and after and after that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, okay, all of these sensory things, and have touched with our hands. Now, that might seem kind of odd to you, like you, you touched them, like that's kind of weird to put in those words. But no, because John is, is going against this early heresy, docetism, that Jesus was just a spirit, well, then it would be very important for John to say, hey, we didn't just see him, we didn't just hear him, because I guess that's possible with the spirit, right, because angels... But we actually touched him. He was physical. 
So that knocked that early heresy out. And then notice what he says. The life was made manifest. Basically, he appeared. But from where did he appear? Where was he made manifest from? From being with the Father. So he was first with the Father in the beginning, and then was made manifest. So he's eternal, but he's, he's pre-existent. Um, some people, like the Jehovah Witnesses, believe that Jesus is a created being. Well, he's not. He was with the Father from all eternity past. Further, John wants to emphasize something to us in terms of their relationship to one another. He has a unique relationship to the Father that he mentions in verse 3. He says, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, why is that important? Because in 1 John, the word Son is used 22 times. 22 times. And every single time, it refers only to Jesus. Only to Jesus. Because John reserves this word because he wants to set Jesus apart as unique and special in having a relationship with the Father that no other person has. When he talks about us in 1 John, what term does he use? He uses usually the term children or child. Now Paul uses, uh, refers to us as sons, but John doesn't do that because he wants to emphasize the uniqueness of the relationship between the Father and between the Son. He is in his own category. Now, these three verses alone, don't even include the rest of 1 John, and we have a strong case for the right understanding of the Godhead and who Jesus is. Now, I was uh, witnessing to my eye doctor um, a few weeks ago, and I was sharing the gospel with him. He was telling me, um, his pastor in, the Easter, in their Easter service this year um, had a section in his sermon where he kind of addressed the children. It was almost like a children's sermon within the regular sermon. And the pastor was talking about Jesus appearing to the disciples after his death. And the pastor said these words, specifically addressing the children. He said, Jesus tricked them. Jesus tricked them. Of course, I mean, you know the implication by the preacher, right? The implication is Jesus tricked him because he only appeared to have risen from the dead. But he didn't really rise from the dead. I mean, imagine that. It made me very sad. It was a, a church that I was a part of growing up before I myself got saved, so it didn't completely surprise me. Um, but for a pastor to specifically address children... Now, there's many words I might use to describe Jesus' appearance when talking to children after the resurrection, but I wouldn't use the word trick, um, because that's not what Jesus did, right? He didn't trick or fool them. And really, if the pastor was being completely honest, <clears throat> he would have probably used the word, which probably would have upset some people, he would have used the word deceived. Because that's really what he's, what he's, he's saying Jesus did. Jesus deceived them. Um, you trick people with fun and games, right? But when you're talking about moral truth, then that gets into the realm of deception, not tricking. Um, but that's what the preacher was saying Jesus did. 
that Jesus deceived people into thinking he rose from the dead. Now think about that. The greatest moral teacher of all time, thinking it's okay to deceive his own disciples? I mean, come on, folks. That's a contradiction. Listen, Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Okay? Again, a strike against the docetists. He rose from the dead bodily. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection, but an actual, literal, physical resurrection. His body went into the tomb, and his body came out of the tomb. And it wasn't some mass hallucination by the disciples and by 500 other people, um, as 1 Corinthians tells us, because there's no such thing as mass hallucination. Um, <clears throat> he really rose from the dead. He literally rose from the dead. And if we're going to talk and preach and share, we have to have the truth. This preacher, he's a false preacher. I'm sorry, but that's what he is. He's a false teacher. He's teaching falsehood. And he's leading people not to eternal life, but to eternal damnation if they're believing what he says. And so, if that's what's coming from pulpits, um, that's sad. It's very sad. And that's why it is just, uh, what should I say, it is important for all of us to be true to God's word. Not to man's word, but to God's word. Listen, Scripture calls Jesus the author of life. Acts 3. He's the author of life. And there's, well, there's, a, there's a few words in the Greek for life, but there's two main ones. Zoe, or Zoe, some people might say, and bios, where we get the word biology. When you talk about bios, that's the physical life. Okay? Just physical material. But Zoe is more than just physical. It's the eternal life. It's not just the here and now. It includes that, but it's the future and the hereafter. And it's not just the material. It's the immaterial. So when John mentions it three times in these first few verses about life, he's not talking about the bios life. He's talking about the zdoe life, the true eternal life that Jesus... That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here he even says that in verse 2 to testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The eternal life was made manifest. Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. So he's the Zdoe. And that life is more than just a physical life here. It's just more than 80 years or so. And see, many people have an incorrect view of the afterlife. Even Christians. And they see the afterlife as a place where you're just like some disembodied spirit. You know, once you die, your spirit goes to heaven. Well, that's true in part. Um, but the vast majority of your existence, you're going to live, you know, Lord willing, 80 plus years here on earth with a body and a soul. <clears throat> then you're going to die at some point if Jesus doesn't come back first, right? And just for that time alone, your spirit will be separated from your body. So, you know, for people that died a thousand years ago, it's been a thousand years. Okay, people die today, it's going to be until Jesus comes back. But when Jesus comes back, what do the scriptures say? There's going to be a trumpet, right? He's going to be coming in the clouds. 
depend on your eschatological view, <clears throat> your end time view, um, you will receive your glorified body at that point. Okay? Whatever's in the tomb, your body might be dust and ashes at that point. God's going to recreate that into a glorified body. And your soul or spirit will be reunited with your body forever. 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 And you will live your life with your spirit and your body together. So most of your existence, the vast part of your existence, will be in a glorified body. And so a lot of times we try to, we try to dissect these things or, or break them apart or, or put them in different categories. I remember in high school, uh, my social studies teacher uh, talking about like, what heaven would be like. and I mean, it was just kind of weird uh, listening to him sometimes, like we were going to be like in these little vases or something, I remember him saying. I was like trying to picture us on little vases on shelves or something like that. It was just it was like a genie thing or something. It was odd. Um, but there's heaven... And then there's a new heavens and a new earth, right? If there's a new heavens and a new earth, guess what? We're going to be living on that new earth in our glorified bodies. Um, you guys ever heard of the mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg? Yep. Um, he made a very interesting statement. Um, a few years ago, he was talking about his legacy at the age of 72. Um, he, talk, he talked about initiatives he'd spearheaded to reduce obesity, eliminate secondhand smoke from public places, um, talked about the gun violence he had reduced. In each instance, he demonstrated a desire to promote human health, safety, and flourishing. Um, here's what was surprising about his speech, though. It's when he speculated about the afterlife. Because he said this, and I quote, I'm telling you, if there is a God... When I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now, do you know what's going to keep a man um, like that out of the kingdom? Pride, right? I mean, it just reeks through those sentences there, pride. I mean, we sing the song, You're Worthy of It All. I mean, and he's singing to himself, I'm worthy of it all. I mean, really. Um, the scriptures lay out very clearly what a person has to do to be saved. And that's what we've been looking at. Okay. A faith in Jesus. A true trust in Jesus, which includes a turning from sin. Repentance is the fancy word for that. And I want us to see three things for us as believers that we can get from the scriptures here regarding the gospel. Um, when he, uh, Paul, excuse me, John is talking about um, touching, seeing, hearing, I would, ex I would say they experienced the gospel truth firsthand. They experienced it firsthand. Y'all hearing me out there? Okay, just making sure y'all awake. Um, <clears throat> Jesus was living and breathing right in front of them. They saw him, they heard him, they interacted with him, they saw him crucified, they saw him after he rose from the dead. Uh, here's the thing, though. We, too, experience the gospel. We experience the gospel. How do you experience it? Well, the initial conversion experience, right? 
You're experiencing all the truth of the gospel applied to you. And for some, that's a very powerful initial conversion. They can remember the day, the hour. For some, they know that God did a work in their life. They can't necessarily pinpoint it, but they see a change. If you've grown up in a Christian home, um, you might not even know the day or the hour. That's okay. The point really is, are you saved? And what are you doing about it? But experiencing the gospel, it's knowing the forgiveness in Christ, in Christ alone. Truly knowing. It's realizing your sins are forgiven and rejoicing in that. It's enjoying the sweetness of your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Friends, if you're saved, you should have experienced those things. What else does experiencing the gospel include? I think in private... You experience the truth of the gospel in your own private prayer, in meditation, in scripture reading. When you're in the Word, you're seeing that gospel and experiencing it firsthand. But, but what about community? We had life group um, on Friday night. It was a good night. It was good because um, I think at one point I was like, hey, y'all, we need to wrap up because we've been going on for a little bit. Um, and someone was like, yeah, if we tackle one more question, we'll probably be here for about 30 minutes. Well, we tackled one more question, and we were there for another 45 minutes. <laughs> but it was really good, and no one was itching to get out of there. Um, I think that's a good example of in community with a life group, we're experiencing the gospel truth. What about us here with corporate worship? Right? We're experiencing the gospel even things like serving together. We've done the barbecue outreach with Link. We've done um, work days here. I mean, when we are serving in community with one another, when we're fellowshipping with one another, that's gospel. It's the gospel being lived out in our very lives. Others need to see that in us, by the way. Okay, they need to see it. They need to see the gospel modeled for them. So that's the first thing. Experience it. Then uh, I would say attest to it, attest to the gospel. That's what uh, John says um, in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, earlier in verse 2, he says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. That Greek word, testify, is uh, martyreo. It's where we get our word martyr. Now, how did that come to be? Originally, it just meant a witness. But what happened to most of the witnesses in the other church? They were put to death, right? So they literally just took that Greek word, and that Greek word martyreo, the noun form, um, just became our word for someone who's put to death for their faith martyr. So originally it meant witness, and then as witnesses were basically just, it was almost like a death sentence, it just became to mean a martyr for the faith. But we testify, or we attest to the gospel. I mean, the disciples had a choice to make, and they knew it was true. Think about that for a second. I mean, they, they did have a choice to make. They knew the gospel was true, and they had to decide if they were going to do something about it. I mean, it's not much different than the same position that we're in. We know, we know the gospel is true. 
and then we have to decide if we're going to do something about it. So the disciples, they decided to do something about it. They were ready at a moment's notice. What does the scripture say? In season and out of season. So we're witnesses, and we testify to the truth. So if anyone walked up to you and said, uh, hey, testify to me about Jesus, you'd need to be ready to give an answer, right? Right? So I think testifying is going to be different than what I'm going to talk about in a second, but that includes regular testimony by you to others of the work God is doing in your life. Notice that John separates out in verse 2. He says, we've seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim it. So he actually separates out testifying and proclaiming. And I think they're different too. I agree with John, and that's probably a good place to be, right? <laughs> so they're two different things. Testifying. God has answered some of your prayers. Guess what? You need to share about it. You need to testify about it. God is using some trial in your life. You need to share about that. You need to testify to it. My sister actually does an amazing job with this. If we're sitting with our unsaved family members, I mean, she's just good at, at weaving what God is doing into her life, into the conversation. And it's not like she's like giving a gospel presentation, but she's just like, oh, the Lord's been doing this in my life, and the Lord, I was praying this, and the Lord did this. I mean, she is amazing at that. She's testifying to the gospel. That's what she's doing. She's bearing witness. So we need to testify to what he's doing in our life with believers and with unbelievers. The third thing we need to do is exactly what John says. We need to proclaim it. Okay, I'd say evangelize. We, we evangelize it because we've experienced the truth of the gospel and we want other people to know it. Did you know that Christian slaves in America sometimes were forbidden to sing? Even to God. So you know what they would do? They would go down to the river and they would hang wet blankets around themselves and then fill pots of water and then sing into the pot so that their voice would be muffled. But so filled were they with the hope of the gospel that they couldn't but help but to sing and praise God about it. They couldn't hold it inside. I mean, they were willing to do whatever it took to be faithful to God and to worship him. Guess what, friends? We need to be willing to do whatever it takes to be faithful to God. We need to be faithful with the gospel and go and make disciples. And we talk about that verse in Matthew 28 all the time. We all know it, but we need to be willing to live out that verse. Go and make disciples. You remember my challenge from last week? What was my challenge? That's right, Justice remembers it. I didn't even remind him. <clears throat> Invite three people to the chili cook-off. That's why I have to include it again. Because I knew some of you'd forget. But I'm serious about it. Invite your neighbors, invite your friends, invite your family. Um, on things like this, look, the body has to come together. We have to come together and work together for these events to accomplish their purpose. So it is a together thing. It's really, again, it's really kind of back to my first point of experiencing the gospel, right? This is an opportunity for us to serve and experience the gospel truth. So we need to work corporately as a body to accomplish evangelism and also work individually. 
Um, I might have mentioned this already, so sorry if I did in the previous sermon. I don't think I did, but in case I did. Um, I had surgery at the beginning of the summer to remove a little nodule on my foot. And I'm always determined, like when they put that little mask on me, you know, they're going to like knock me out. I'm like always determined to fight it, you know. <laughs> Never works. <laughs> but I try to fight it. <clears throat> and then the next thing I know, right, I'm waking up. And I'm always like concerned they're going to be like asking me questions, you know. Because when you're, you know, uh, some of that stuff doesn't completely knock you out. They can ask you whatever they want, right? It's like almost like a little truth serum I'm concerned about. Not that I have anything to hide, but I'm always like telling myself, okay, whatever they, whatever they ask, like share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. Serious. So I'm like, I'm like, if you've been knocked out before, you know it's like a really weird experience when you start waking up and you're like forgetting everything. And so I'm like talking to this lady, she's asking me different questions, and I, I'm, I start sharing the gospel with her. And then it like dawns on me that I think I've already shared it with her. And I'm like, did I already share this with you? She's like, yep. I'm like, did I share it with you more than once? She's like, yep. <laughs> I think I shared it with her like five times or something like that. I'm not even kidding. It was kind of embarrassing. <clears throat> um, and finally, she's like, oh, she's like, and I'm still like halfway out of it. And she's like, what, what do you do? <laughs> and I like, I don't go around telling people like, you know, I have a, a doctorate or anything, but I'm like, I'm a doctor. <laughs> and she's like, oh, what kind of doctor? And I'm like, of theology. <laughs> so um, she did get the gospel, and so did the, the male nurse standing next to her, um, and I started sharing with him, and he's like, how many kids do you have? And I'm like, four? And he's like, that is way too many. And I was like, no, nah, man, children are a blessing. So we need to be ready to share. Um, here's the thing. I think some of us, some of us, actually all of us don't want to offend people, but some of us really are concerned about that. But here's the thing. Are we going to let someone go to hell because we're afraid of offending them? I mean, think about that for a second. That's like, you know, someone's in a burning building and you're afraid of offending them, so you don't tell them to get out. Right? I mean, offending them is a minor inconvenience compared to being in a burning building. So um, every single person, listen, every single person would want to be inconvenienced if they realized their life was on the line. Right? I mean, if my life's on the line, like, inconvenience me all you want. Like, break down my door. Okay? If my life's on the line, do what you need to do. Um, and, if, and in fact, if they knew a death sentence awaited them and they were convinced of it, uh, but were told there's information that could help them, but it's possibly offensive, I mean, how do you think they'd respond? They'd be like, offend me. Like, give me the information. I need to know. But here's the thing. Just because they're, they're not aware of their impending demise doesn't lessen the necessity of us sharing with them. And it doesn't lessen, lessen the urgency of us doing so. But here's the other thing. Because I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about offending people when you share the gospel. Actually, in all my years of sharing the gospel, I've really only had a handful of people truly be offended. 
If anything, the thing I've experienced is most people kind of like freak out. Because you're talking about stuff that they realize is really important and of eternal consequence, but they don't want to think about it. And you kind of end up putting them on the defensive without even meaning to. But I was thinking about it, and I was thinking uh, the story of Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, um, came to my mind. Remember he was a leper? You guys remember the story? And, and his, his uh, servant girl, who was an, a little Israelite girl, was like, hey, uh, there's a prophet in, in my country that, that could probably heal you. So then he goes to the king. Uh, he gets permission, and he goes to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel freaks out. He's like, oh my gosh, why, I can't even... And then Elisha's like, no, I got, you know, God, really God has this, but, I, you know, don't worry. So it says in 2 Kings 5.10, Elisha sends a messenger to Naaman, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But what does it say was Naaman's reaction? He was mad. But it says Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. So, I mean, he receives the truth, right? But he's offended. But, but what happens? His servants are like, look, like all he did was ask you to do this. Like, what do you have to lose, essentially, right? And Naaman changes his mind, and he does it. So he receives the truth, and he's offended, uh, but here's the thing. Even with that offense, God still worked. And even if we end up offending, which we will at times, um, you don't know how God's going to use those words in that person's life. Okay? A lot of people, you know, people throw up that wall. They get offended. They say something rude back. Uh, you don't know how God will use those words. I remember at, um, at Andrew's and my wedding, so 19 years ago, um, one of my friends said something to Andrea's uncle. And it was something along the lines of, um, and my uncle, uh, or Andrea's uncle wasn't a believer at the time. He ended up getting saved. Um, but he wasn't a believer at the time and said something like, um, your son needs you to be a godly man. That's what one of my friends said to him. Your son needs you to be a godly man. Didn't even really you know, share the gospel with him. Um, but after Andrea's uncle got saved, um, he, he was sharing with us that, that that just drove like an arrow into his heart. Just that little statement that the person made that, that he just couldn't, he couldn't get that thought out of his mind. And God really used that to convict him and start the road to salvation for him. Just that, that little thing. And, and, he, and I don't know if he, what he expressed to my friend at the time but he was very offended at the time. I mean, he, he shared that too. I was very upset that your friend would even think of sharing something like that with me. So, I mean, he was greatly offended. Um, but God used it. So we don't know. When we share something, we don't know the long-term effect of how God's going to use that. Okay? We share. We do our part. We trust God. He's going to do it however he wants, whatever he wants. Okay? We're faithful. We know God's faithful. So he's going to do his thing. Listen, the great weapon Satan uses against us with witnessing, it's not like some giant spear that he sticks with, with or some sword he slashes us with. It's, it's really just two things. It's apathy. I just don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like sharing. I just, I'm tired. i am just got too much going on. So apathy. And then timidity. I'm scared. I'm afraid. 
I mean, those two things prevent more people from sharing than there's probably stones in the Great Wall of China. Right? Apathy and timidity. And we've got to get rid of that stuff. I mean, if God is who he says he is, then everything else should fall way below that and way to the side. And we don't want anything to hinder us in being faithful to preach the gospel. Listen, God is in control. God is in control. He wants to use you. He's going to direct your paths. He will give you the words. He will be your shield and your protector. All right, today is Veterans Day. Both of my grandfathers served in the military. My father served as well. Um, And I appreciate the way that that the military um, treats um, their own, at least as I experienced with my dad. They were very gracious and kind. A few times we had to go to military bases. Every single person uh, would address my dad as Colonel Bond. That's how they addressed him. So there was a respect there, which I thought was pretty cool. My senior year in high school, I kind of had everything planned out. I wanted to be a journalist, and that's what I'd wanted to do for probably since I was like 10. I wanted to be a journalist. So I kind of had my everything planned out. Um, but then like one day, I had, like, I had like a freak out moment. And I was like, is this what it really what I'm supposed to do like, for the rest of my life? And so I, almost, I started really going in a completely different direction. And I contacted the Marines. And I started contact, uh, talking with a recruiter. And had talked to him on the phone a couple times. Um, had, had visited with him once. Um, he comes to my house a second time. He has the papers ready for me to sign to commit to being in the Marines. Um, and I would have enlisted straight out of high school. And I remember him sitting there and realizing like the weight of the decision, which I'm sure anyone who has enlisted knows that, um, and how the course of my life was about to change drastically forever. Um, and really, for whatever reason, I really I couldn't tell you, except for God, um, I didn't sign the papers. I didn't sign. Um, I was this close. But for whatever reason, I just felt like I wasn't supposed to, and so I didn't, I didn't sign them. Um, and um, had I signed, I wouldn't be here today. It, my course would have been a, a different course, um, a course that I know now I was not supposed to take, a course that some people are supposed to take. Uh, but God, even in the life of unbelievers, I was an unbeliever at the time, even in the life of unbelievers, he's in control. Okay, he's in control. So again, we be faithful with what God's entrusted to us. And he's entrusted the gospel. We're the ambassadors. We're the ones going, appealing to other people, not on our own behalf, but on Christ's behalf. So we're the faithful ambassadors. And God, who is sovereign over all, will do his work, however he wants. Some people get saved right away. Some people... We prayed for Andrea's uncle for many, many, many years. And, it, and from the time we started praying, who knows how many other people were, were praying for him. I mean, it was probably about eight to ten years. And other people we're still praying for. But here's the thing. God is in control. So he knows and will do in people's lives, unbelievers and believers, exactly as he wants. We are called to be faithful to seek and follow him. That's what we need to do. So we're experiencing the gospel, we're testifying to it, and then we're proclaiming it. We're going out and we're evangelizing.
You guys with me? This is something we need to do, all right? Not just me, not just the pastors, not just the staff, all of us, right? Some of us literally have the gift of evangelism, all right? Now, I don't think I have that gift, but I don't think it lessens on me the need that I have to share with people. So I try to take every opportunity I get. Sadly, I've missed many opportunities. Many. But I take the opportunities I get. But I'm not an evangelist. Some are. They're out there sharing. Some of you, you might not be evangelists. That's okay. You're still called to share. God doesn't call just the evangelists to share. They might share with more people, but you still got to share. You still got to be faithful. And for some of you, stepping out of your comfort zone means maybe sharing with one person each month. That's good. I mean, start somewhere. Some people stepping out means sharing with a person every week, for some every every day. But you want to be faithful. And here's the thing, and I almost hate to admit it. I actually think how we're doing in this area is one of the marks, not the only mark, but one of the marks of where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. It's one of the marks. It can be kind of a barometer, so to speak, of how we're doing in our relationship with the Lord. And, and, and when I look at my own life and I kind of compare how, you know, different periods of my life and how I'm doing sharing and the opportunities that I'm taking and seizing every opportunity and not passing them up, I mean, when I look at that, then I can see that when I'm really walking with the Lord, I'm really taking those opportunities. When I'm, when I'm doing well and when I'm at my best, I'm looking for those opportunities, I'm making those opportunities. You know, even small things, I mean, we all go out to eat occasionally, pretty sure. I mean, you got a waitress right there. I mean, it can just be a short conversation. You can leave her a gospel track. Just things like that can be barometers of how we're doing. And I think some of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, that barometer might be kind of low. And we need to do a little bit better, or a lot better, and be faithful. Listen, if people aren't getting saved... It's not because God's not working. Think about that. I mean, God will do his work. He's in control. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. All right? All y'all are workers. You're all workers. Each single one of you. And we're all called to go out into that harvest. All right? And maybe, maybe your gift... You're looking out into the harvest, and you just have your, you know, your little reaper thing is just like a pair of scissors, right? You're not going to do much reaping. Well, cut what you can, all right? Cut what you can. Some of you got that beat, you know, giant sickle, and you can just reap right and left, okay? You know, reap away. <clears throat> but if you just got that scissors, guess what? You still got the scissors. You still got the scissors. You need to, you need to reap what you can. Okay? It'll be a small harvest, but it'll be a harvest that glorifies God. So let's be faithful. Let's pray. Father, make all of us have a heart to share. Take away the timidity. Take away the apathy. At times it's been present in my own life, God, so forgive me for that. Make us um, faithful 
to share in bold, help us to love you enough to share, help us to love the world enough to share. Give us those opportunities and help us to seize them. Lord, we want to see um, the harvest come in, Lord. We want to see the harvest reaped, Lord. And uh, we want to see ourselves be a part of that reaping, Lord. So use us, Father. Use us. Embolden us. Give us the words to say. You've been gracious, God, to let us experience the gospel. And so use us to help others experience the truth of the gospel as well. Impress upon us, Lord, the importance of this. And people are going to hell, God. And you want us to use, you want to use us to throw them a lifeline and to save them, God. And all of us are here, Lord, because of your goodness and grace. And you've used others to get us to this point, Lord. Help us to be faithful so that others will be here in the future because you've used us to do so as well. Lord, let us be faithful to the gospel truth to not water it down, but to be faithful to it. Help us to continue to seek you, Lord. Help us to continue to love you with everything we have. Help us to walk in your ways. I pray, God, for all of us that you would root out sin in our lives, known and unknown, Lord, that you would purify your church, that you would wash your church. Do this, Lord, for your glory. We pray. Amen.